Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to the workshop, 100 Pounders, Reflections in the Water, Body Image, and Sexuality. My name is Nancy. I'm from San Francisco, and I am a compulsive overeater, and I am a 100 pounder, and I'm your moderator for this session. Good morning, again. Before we begin, please turn off your cell phones and pagers. This workshop is being taped. All opinions expressed by those who share are their own and not necessarily of OA as a whole. The format for this session is a reading, two speakers, ask a basket questions, and sharing on the topic. A basket with paper and pencil will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for speakers. And please keep that, uh, this a little box, please keep that going. Please specify for whom you ask the question. The reading is from the OA's Brown Book, and we're reading page 86 and 87. Um, okay, we've highlighted a paragraph. We've highlighted a paragraph. I have become contented with my new body and my new identity. Now when people say, you must be so happy, I practically sing out that I really am. I'm still startled when I see myself in a mirror or a store window, and I can still be moved to tears by a medium size if fits. I no longer have the self-loathing that comes with feeling like a freak. The male attention, or female, I am getting still amazes me and pleases me. I have become used to this, but I am not complacent, just comfortable and very grateful. I have a life to look forward to instead of a living death. And to speak on that, our first speaker is Carl, and he'll speak for 25 minutes. Good morning. My name is Carl. I'm a compulsive overeater. Uh, I brought my pictures along because pictures, I think, in the 100-pounders are kind of important. So there you go. Um, I'll tell you a little bit of my story, and then we'll get to the topic. Uh, I come from what I like to call a normal dysfunctional family, because I think that's what families are. My father uh, was a very good man with a very bad temper, and my mother was ill most of my childhood behind a closed bedroom door, not available to me emotionally or physically. And the litany that was played over and over again from my father was, don't upset your mother. And it didn't seem to matter very much what I did, but whatever it was, no matter what it was, seemed to be upsetting to my mother in my father's eyes, and I would be beaten for it. I can remember being four years old, running <clears throat> up and down the hallway, jubilantly, like little kids do, and my father coming and telling me he was going to kill me with his bare hands because I was upsetting my mother. So I found out very early in life that it wasn't safe to feel or express feelings, and I found that food would stop the feelings. And I've heard over and over again from this podium that people use food to make them feel good. I didn't. I used food to make me not feel, period. And... Uh, I became a compulsive overeater. Now, I don't blame my parents for my becoming a compulsive overeater. It wasn't anything that they did. It was my reactions to what they did. So it's an inside job. I did it. Um, and my recovery is also an inside job. I have to do it with the help of my higher power in the 12 steps. Um, the pictures that are going around don't have any childhood pictures because I wasn't obese as a child. My mother controlled my food pretty much. And... Uh, uh, I could only steal so much from the kitchen or from my folks' money to go out and buy food. 
And when I got a little chubby, a little chunky, my mom would put me on a diet. And, you know, I'd do the diet, lose the weight, and go back to eating what I was doing before. But I was a compulsive overeater, and there's a story I tell every time I speak because it's a good illustration of this disease that I have. My mother is a fantastic baker. She used to make these huge vats of cookies, and I'd get up in the middle of the night and go down into the kitchen, take the top off, and study the top layer, eat a few layers down, make it look like nobody touched the cookies. But the thing that my mother makes that I like the best is cream puffs. She makes these cream puffs with a pastry shell, a thick yellow Italian custard, not whipped cream, pastry shell, powdered sugar on the top. I love these things. I'm nine years old. I come home from school on a Thursday afternoon, and I walk into the kitchen, and my mother's making these cream puffs. And I said, oh, cream puffs, can I have one? She said, no, you can't have one. They're for a party tomorrow night. If there are any left after the party, then you can have one. First thing that goes through my head is how could there possibly be a cream puff left after a party? Because I knew if it were my party, there would be no cream puffs left. And then the second thing that went through my head is, well, I'll just get up in the middle of the night and I'll steal one because that's what I did around food. But my mother knew I had this problem, and she said, don't steal and either count it. Now I've got a problem, because in my household, when I've been specifically told not to do something, and I go ahead and do it anyway, I know that my father's going to beat the crap out of me. I know this. But I wanted one of those cream puffs. Self will run riot. I wanted one of those cream puffs, and I couldn't figure out how to get the cream puff and not get the beating. The only thing I could figure out how to do was postpone that beating 24 hours, and that's what I did. I got up in the middle of the night. I went into the kitchen. I opened the refrigerator. I took out the tray of cream puffs, set it on the counter, went to a drawer, got a spoon, took the tops off the cream puffs, and ate the filling out of every single one of them. <laughs> licked off the spoon, put the little tops back on so you couldn't tell they'd been touched, put the spoon back in the drawer, put the cream puffs back in the refrigerator, and went to sleep. Got up the next day, went to school, came home, had dinner, went to sleep. Party starts, I'm asleep. And it wasn't noticed that people, that the cream puffs had been tampered with until people started taking bites out of this empty pastry, by which time I was already asleep. The next morning, my father beat the shit out of me. One for touching the cream puffs and the other for embarrassing them in front of their friends. And that's this disease I have. I knew without a shadow of a doubt that I was putting myself in for physical bodily harm and I couldn't stop myself from doing it at nine years old. I left home when I was 18 and that's when I started getting weight because I was on my own. I didn't know how to do it. From the time I was 18 until the time I was 40, I weighed more every year. Uh, and I got to hate myself more every year. My body image went down the toilet. I'd get up every morning, I'd go in the bathroom, I'd look in the mirror and say, okay, you piece of shit, go to work now because that's what I thought of myself. I reached a point in my eating career where I could not stop eating. If I wasn't physically doing something else with my hands, I was putting food in my mouth. I, I married a compulsive overeater. Um, that marriage was based on food. That's all we did is we ate for fun. We ate for recreation. And I was a strict competition for uh, food. I, I, I couldn't have a grain of rice more than my ex-wife had uh, and vice versa. Um, I ended that marriage after I'd been in program for six years. I am now remarried to a wonderful lady also in this program. Uh, and going through that divorce, which took seven years, because my ex-wife decided that uh, she didn't want to do it amicably, took seven years, and the recovery is that that would have been good for at least a 100-pound weight gain, and uh, that did not happen. Um, so... Uh, that being said, uh, you have some idea of where I come from and, and, and what it used to be like. Uh, I came into program through the back door, so to speak. I, I went to a, uh, an eating disorder unit at a hospital, uh, an outpatient program, and what their program was was a lot of group therapy. And uh, I, when I say a lot, I mean like for the first four months, it was four nights a week. 
And for the last two months of the six-month program, it was two nights a week. But the kicker was and the clincher was and the little caveat that this program had was is that in order to be part of their program, I had to go to Overeaters Anonymous. I didn't know what that was. I'd never heard of it. It scared the hell out of me. But I had reached the bottom and I was willing to do whatever I was told. Uh, and they were real serious because they told me that my disease is going to go on for the rest of my life and their program was only six months and if I didn't get into a recovery program that went on for the rest of my life, I would die. I believed them. Uh, <clears throat> they were so serious that they made me get a, a sheet of paper signed by the secretary of the meeting I went to uh, and bring it back to them because uh, they wanted to make sure I was going to meetings. And I did that. I did whatever I was told to do. So uh, my first meeting was on a Sunday afternoon uh, at, and at the OA office in the San Fernando Valley, which is on Darby Avenue. <clears throat> and I walked in there with my ex-wife because I was afraid to go by myself. And up on the wall, they had the 12 steps, and I read the first step said, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. I was like, yeah, that's me. I, my life was totally unmanageable. I couldn't stop eating. And it was, it was, I was home. I, I could have been a poster boy for step one. Uh, I was very ready. Uh, the eating disorder unit had given me a food plan. I was doing that food plan, so I was absent when I walked into that room. And uh, if I'm willing, in another two months or so, I'll have 16 years. Um, and I say, thank God. Thank God. Uh, I say if I'm willing because, uh, you know, and I hear people all the time saying God willing. Well, God is always willing. I'm the one that has to be willing. If I'm not willing, nothing happens. Um, and willingness takes many different forms. Uh, I wish I was as willing today as I was almost 16 years ago when I came in. Uh, you know, the pictures that are going around, the, the, the newest pictures in there are almost 16 years old. And in those pictures, I look older then, I think, than I do now. I was 40 years old in those pictures. I'm going to be 56 next month. It's just, you know, a, a, a total change in, in what goes on. Anyway, so getting to body image, um, when I went to the eating disorder unit, the primary therapist I had said, well, what's your daily routine? And I said, well, I get up in the morning, I go in the bathroom, I say, okay, you piece of shit, go to work now. I said, wait a minute, you got to stop that. you got to take that old tape out of your tape player and throw it in the trash or have Mr. Phelps self-destruct it or, or whatever, and I'm, I'm going to give you a new tape to play in your machine. He said, tomorrow morning, what I want you to do is stand in front of the mirror naked and caress the parts of your body you don't like. And this is what you have to say. You have to say, good morning, Carl. You're a handsome man. You're intelligent. You're competent. You're capable. You're a wonderful human being. You're a nice guy. You're talented. You're valuable. You have a great deal to offer. You're a good person. You're sexy. You're a loving, precious child of God. You deserve all that's wonderful and good in life. You look the way you need to look. You weigh what you need to weigh. And I love you very much. And give yourself a hug. I looked at this man. I said, bullshit. <laughs> I said, I'm not going to do that. I don't believe it. It's not true. He said, Carl, you don't have to believe it's true. All you have to do is act as if you believe it's true. And in the years I've been in these rooms, I've learned that I cannot think myself into good action, but I can act myself into good thinking. So I said to him, well, if I do that tomorrow morning and I don't like it, then what? He says, if you don't like doing it tomorrow morning, do it the next morning. 
And if you don't like doing it the next morning, do it the next morning. Well, I got up that first morning and I stood in front of the mirror naked and I did that and I hated it. And I did it the next morning and I hated it. And I did it the next morning and I hated it. And I did it this morning in the hotel room and it was okay. It was okay. And I've done it every morning in between for almost 16 years now. And what I've come to realize, and the reason it was so easy to do this morning, is because uh, it's all true. Every word of that is true. And what I've come to realize is that the very first day I did this, standing in front of the mirror at 312 pounds, and it wasn't a pretty sight, is that it was very true on that very first day as well. Because on that day I was starting on a path of recovery, and I had to be exactly where I was on that path, and I had to accept myself where I was on that path. Because the only way I can change is to accept where I'm at and be honest about it. Then, with the willingness and the help of a higher power, I can change. And the only person I can change in the entire world is myself. I can't change you. I can't change my 12-year-old daughter, which I'd love to do. Uh, but I can change me. And I do that by daily working the steps. I do that by doing my daily affirmations in the mirror. Um, and that was one of the most helpful things in changing my body image. Today I'm okay with my body. Uh, sometimes it drives my wife crazy because I walk around the house naked. You know, because it's, it's, it's not an important thing to me anymore to cover up my body. Uh, I find it very comfortable to be naked. Uh, sexuality... Uh, I like sex. I enjoy it. Um, it's a lot easier to do and enjoy at my current weight than it was at 300 some odd pounds. You're very limited in what you can do at 300 some odd pounds. It's just, you know, it's mission impossible again. Uh, <coughs> But in becoming more self-accepting of my body image, I can also be more accepting of my spouse's body. I, I don't have to judge it and say, well, you know, it's... Uh, yeah. I accept my wife as she is. And uh, we have a wonderful relationship. I'm very grateful for that. Um, I get into looking at myself sometimes. I, yeah, when I got into program, I lost weight very quickly. I lost 135 pounds in 10 months. And I'd love to tell you that I'm maintaining 135 pound weight loss. I'm not. Uh, I'm getting older. My food is, is about the same as it was when I reached my goal weight. But my body is changing and I am now fighting with the willingness to change my food, which I really don't want to do. So I've gained a bit of weight, and I'm still maintaining a little over 100-pound weight loss. Uh, and the 135 pounds, I was too thin. Uh, I, I wasn't trying to lose that much weight. I, the problems we have in our program are different set of problems than I had before. When I was losing weight, I couldn't stop losing weight. I tried to stop losing weight. I reached my goal weight, and I passed it by over 10 pounds. And I had to come back up a little bit. So the 135 pounds wasn't where my goal was. It just happened to be where I ended up. Um, and I maintained that for a long time. And uh, talking to people over the years, they said, you know what, you looked very emaciated when you were that thin. And looking at pictures I have of myself at that time, I looked very emaciated. 
But my head said, hey, thin is better, you know, because, you know, thin is, thin is not well, but fat sucks. And uh, so trying to be thinner was uh, a great deal. Today I accept where I am. I talk to my sponsor every day. Uh, I guess I should get my, my sponsorship pitch here. Uh, sponsorship is a very integral part of my program both being a sponsor and having sponsors. I call my food into a man every day. Even here at the hotel, I will pick up the phone and I will say, this is what I'm having or this is what I had for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. If it goes into my mouth, at some point in time, it's going to go into somebody's ear. I have to do that. <clears throat> From that one phone call, I get four benefits. I get uh, a, uh, a chance to be honest about my food because I didn't used to be very honest with my food. I get guilt-free eating, because if I'm honest about it, there's nothing to be guilty about. I get a daily contact with another compulsive overeater, which is the basis of this program. One compulsive overeater working with another compulsive overeater, and together we can recover. We cannot do it alone. I certainly cannot do it alone. Um, the fourth and probably the most important benefit I get from that single phone call is a daily reminder that I am not normal, because I look pretty normal today. I have a disease. It lives in my head. It does not live in the fat on my body. And it doesn't matter how thin I am, the disease is still here. And I need to be reminded of that. I also call step sponsor every day and talk to him about what's going on in my life and what's going on in my step work and uh, uh, that kind of thing. Sponsorship is very important. All the steps are we steps. There is not a single I step in there. So we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. If you don't have a sponsor, it's suggested everywhere in the big book and in the literature that you have a sponsor. It's just a suggestion. You don't have to do it. It's just a suggestion. Just like they suggest if you jump out of an airplane, you have a parachute. You don't have to do it. It's just a suggestion. Um, so, you know, there are things I've learned over the years uh, in program. I've learned that when I'm having a problem with a food, it doesn't do me a damn bit of good to say to myself, you know what, I'm having a problem with that food. I'm not going to eat that food for a while because I'll be right back there eating that food. I have to call my sponsor and say, you know what, I'm having a problem today with peanuts in the shell. I eat too many of them when I eat them, and i got to stop eating those peanuts in the shell. As soon as I share that with my sponsor and my higher power, the obsession for that food is gone. I don't have to have it. I just don't have to have it. It's, it's, it's gone spiritual experience I had in this program very shortly after I got in. Uh, I was in the service business. I was walking through a lady's uh, kitchen, and on her kitchen counter were two world's finest chocolate bars. We know what they are. I, I used to sell them when I was a kid. They were half the price and twice as large. Uh, kids used to come to my shop selling these things, and I'd buy a dozen of them. They'd be gone in a day, day and a half max. I saw those chocolate bars on this lady's counter, and I froze. I was rooted to the floor. I could not move. I started shaking. I started salivating. I got a headache. My stomach started grumbling. I broke out in a cold sweat. I wanted that chocolate more than I wanted life itself, and it was making me absolutely crazy, and I didn't know what to do. I closed my eyes, and I clenched my fists. I said, God, take this from me. I can't handle it. And it was all gone. All those symptoms were gone. All the, the desire for the chocolate was gone. And I felt peace come over my body, and I knew at that moment that there was a higher power out there personally for me, Carl. And all I had to do to tap into that limitless power, and it is limitless, is to humble myself and say, God, I can't do this. Please help me. And from that day to this, if I've been willing to do that, 
It's never failed. And if any of you are having a problem with a higher power, use mine. It's limitless. There's enough for all of us. So, you know, that being said, this program saved my life. I came in here almost 16 years ago, ready for the, the scrap heap. I was, I was ready to kill myself. In fact, I was trying to kill myself for food. And I, I'm so grateful that I was able to find Overeaters Anonymous because on a daily basis it saves my life. And uh, my life today is so much better than it ever was before, uh, beyond my wildest dreams. I've got a, a, a beautiful home, a wonderful wife, a job that I never would have believed I could have gotten, all from this program. None of it would have happened without that. And I'm just so grateful to be here. And thank you for letting me share. Thank you. Uh, we want to remind you, please keep the Ask a Basket going around. We do have people flowing in throughout the speaking. And um, our second speaker will be Denise. Good morning. My name is Denise, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Well, when I first came to meetings, I used to like to get up and say that, so I would hear everybody come back with, hi, Denise, <laughs> because that made me feel so good. It made me feel at home. Um, when I came into the program, just to qualify, my highest weight that I know of was 230 pounds. And um, I say that I know of because at that time I was going to uh, Weight Watchers and I had learned that you could go there and you would not have to wait. You could just go and pay your money and go and sit down in the meeting. So I, when I got to 230 pounds, I refused to weigh at Weight Watchers anymore. So that's how much in denial I was. And I don't know what size my dress size got to be because I, I had this friend who could make clothes and I was having all of my clothes tailor-made at that time so that I would not have to face the size on the dress when I went into the um, store. So the denial was very, very thick. But I went to a, a seminar one Friday and the seminar was for people who work with people who have um, addictions. But, of course, we didn't have any addictions, so we were going there to learn how to work with them. And, and when I got there, the first speaker got up there, and he said that when he was a little boy, he used to cry. And his mother would slap him and tell him to stop crying. And I started crying, tears just ran from that point on. And I learned at that um, seminar about Overeaters Anonymous. And the next day, I was, that Saturday, I was so depressed till I just could not hardly get out of bed. But I did go to the white pages, found Overeaters Anonymous, called, and I was told about a Monday night meeting. And so I, in Gardena, and strange thing is, I live in Gardena now, but um, I wasn't at the time, but it was the closest meeting to my house. And I went to that meeting, and it was a 100-pounder meeting. 
And it was, I figured it was exactly how much I needed to lose was 100 pounds, and my life would be perfect if I could just lose the weight. Little did I know. But I had gone to Weight Watchers that day, and I had, for the first time in my life, well, for the first time in five years, I was able to follow that Weight Watchers food plan. And so when I got there, I had my food plan, and I was abstinent, but I knew nothing about food plans or abstinence. But I continued to follow that for about three years into the program. I've been in the program now for eight years, and um, which isn't very long. I learned last night, by the way, <laughs> that, that if you haven't been here ten years, you're still a newcomer. <laughs> so I'm I'm happy to be speaking to you this morning as a newcomer with a little bit of experience strength and hope. And um, actually, I have lost 80 pounds, and I'm 20 pounds from uh, what I consider my goal. But people look at me and they say, you don't have 20 more pounds to lose. But I, like I say, I don't know how much I weighed when I came in. So I um, came into Overeaters Anonymous, and I didn't just put my big toe in the water and test it. I dove into the program because I was already drowning. And if you're drowning, then the program became for me a true lifeline. It became like somebody had tossed me out um, a lifeline and that I was really in the water drowning and I had to hold on to the program for my life because at that time I was, I had a healthy, what I call death wish. I, was, I wasn't going to kill myself because I was too much of a coward to do that. But if I could have just laid down and died, you know, not woke up, that would have been fine. So I just, I just wanted to die on a daily basis. That's how miserable I was. And when I came in, as far as sexuality is concerned, I would consider myself an anorexic because, <laughs> because for about 20 years I had thought that, you know, I no longer had any desire for sex. And it was like um, I, was, I realized now that that was part and parcel to the depression I was having, but I didn't know any of that at the time. So I went and I um, I started eating compulsively, actually, when I was uh, 18 months old. And so they said, how do you know when you, you were that young? And it's about the same time that the sexual abuse started for me. And I was very young at that time. So I'm, I'm also a... a survivor of incest, and, uh, which I know now is very common for people with eating disorders, but I didn't know that until I gave up the food and the memories came back to me. But how I know I started eating when I was 18 months old is I had a mother and a grandmother 
who would allow an 18 month old child to eat so much banana pudding that you would, I was throwing it up. And to this day, the smell of bananas nauseates me. And that's, and my mother was like, um, she also physically abused me. She was the one that would say, she would start to whoop me for some reason. And then she would say to me, I'm going to beat the crying out of you. And I would cry more. And I think on some level, I wanted her to actually beat me to death because then the pain would stop. And so I, I was also um, a victim of ritual abuse. And um, I know now that because of all the abuse in my childhood, I had developed um, multiple personality disorder. But when I was diagnosed, I was diagnosed by myself. I diagnosed myself. I was in the mental hospital, right? I was so depressed, and the psychiatrist didn't know what to do with me. And he said he was going to start me on shock therapy, so I told him what my diagnosis was. <laughs> I told him I was manic depressive because when I was going to school, that's what I identified myself as. I said, if I ever have any kind of mental disorder, I'll be manic depressive. So um, that's what I told him. And the strange thing was that the medication he gave me for the manic depression, which was lithium, it helped me balance out, and within a week, I was out of the hospital. So uh, then that made him think that I had correctly diagnosed myself because the medication worked. And I, my very next job after I got out of that ho out of that hospital was working on the mentally ill uh, offenders unit at Metropolitan State Hospital. So I could really identify with my uh, my clients at that time, having just gotten out of the hospital myself. <laughs> it was crazy. I mean, my life was crazy. So when when I got to the program and step two, you know, I had no problems admitting that I was crazy. As a matter of fact, I'd already been diagnosed myself as crazy. <laughs> so I just, it was, it was really, really something. And I was able to what I call sleepwalk through life for 52 years because I had so many different personalities that would take over and do things for me till I didn't know who the real person was anymore. And the food just kept me numb. Like uh, my um, car said, it helped me not feel. I did not want to feel. So the food helped me with that. And it worked really well when I was a child. As a matter of fact, had I not had the food when I was a child, I probably would not have survived my childhood and all the abuse I went through. So the food played a very um important role for me. But what I didn't realize is as an adult, I no longer needed all of that. I no longer had all of the abuse in my life, but I didn't know. I just did not know. So I came to program and 
when I, like I said, when I gave up the food, the memories of the abuse came up to the surface. And it was very hard for me to deal with that. It was very painful. I was in very intensive therapy. And um, I was able to stay out of the hospital because of the program. Because I was also, while I was in therapy, I was also working the, the 12 steps and calling my sponsor and calling three calls a day. I mean, doing everything that uh, using all the tools, the fellowship for a year after I first came into program, I asked somebody to sponsor me after my first sponsor had taken me through the first three steps. She told me she couldn't sponsor me anymore. And I asked her why. She said because she hadn't done a fourth step. <laughs> so I, I was told to get another sponsor. Well, I'm thinking there's no newcomers here today. I hope not because what I did, I would not, reckon, I would not recommend anybody doing it. But I went through the, the steps the first time without a sponsor. And how I did that is I was going to seven meetings a week. I was going to step studies. And when somebody told me what they did at that step, that's what I did at that step. And so I took the whole fellowship as my sponsor. And I thought at the time I didn't have a sponsor, but now I realize I actually did and that it was the fellowship that I took as my sponsor. So I um, went through the steps the first time without a sponsor, somebody to, and I gave my inventory to my therapist and I just went right along. And so when I was getting ready to go through the steps for the second time, I was going to do the same thing. But when I came into program, God began to speak to me in a language I could understand. And God said, no, you need a human sponsor. So I got a human sponsor, and we went through the steps again. And so now I've gone through the steps in uh well, after three years in the program, I was um, had a real traumatic thing happen in my life. And my oldest daughter gave me some information that really threw me for a loop. Because when you're sleepwalking through life, things go on in your own home that you're just not aware of. So when she told me what had happened to her as a child, I just knew I could no longer remain in the marriage I was in. So, um, but it was so painful. And I was still doing the Weight Watchers food plan. So on that plan, you can have almost anything if you count it. At that time, it was where you count everything. So I um, said, I'm going to have to do something. And I talked to my sponsor about it, and I told her what had happened. And I was scheduled to do, to MC a how workshop. And I told my sponsor, I said, I don't want to do that. And she told me, she said, well, when things like this happen to us, we just do the next thing that we were going to do. We don't stop. And so I went on and I did the MC. Well, once I'm on, on, you know, I can go through with it. And afterward, it was a, it was God. I know it was because 
I asked somebody to sponsor me into house. And when I first came in, my very first sponsor was a house sponsor, but she sponsored regular OA also. So she sponsored me as regular OA, and she let me give her my food, which was the um, uh, uh, the Weight Watchers food plan. And I'm sure now that she must have thought, how can she be losing weight eating like this? But when you've been eating the way I was eating before, just to eat three meals a day and not to eat anything else, I would lose weight because I was eating less. So, um, but I knew I was going to use the sugar to anesthetize myself from the pain that I was going through. But when I got the, um, the person that sponsored me was very good and but she was going to move away, and she told me that in the beginning. But she took me through the steps, the first three steps again, and then I got another sponsor who took me through the fourth step, which means I answered the 176 questions. So that was my third time going through the steps in the program and working in inventory. So I worked so many, uh, and I was in two other programs. I was in Survivors of Incest Anonymous, and I was also, by that time, into um, Al-Anon, because I realized I was raised up in an alcoholic home, which I did not know either. So I was just so um, totally out of it. I was just like sleepwalking through life. For the first 52 years of my life, I slept walk through life. And it was the food that helped, helped me be able to do that. So I went on and after that, after that, um, divorce, I, um, was able to now I realized also that not only was I uh, incest by my father, I was also incest by my maternal grandmother, which made me bisexual in my outlook. And when I lost the weight in Weight Watchers and both men and women started coming on to me, I didn't understand why. I really didn't because I did not know about what had happened to me as a child and how I had already been predisposed to that. But today I am by choice a heterosexual and I have a, a friend in my life who is uh, very much a normal person and um, I'm, um, I feel like I enjoy sex today and that I have so much more to take to a relationship with somebody because I am um, not um, using food or anything else to keep me from feeling. And because of my childhood, I'm sure, I was predisposed to lower back pain. And today I'm wearing a brace, and I prefer to wear a brace than to take pain medication. And, so I feel the pain, and um, it's really good for me to be able to feel pain and to um, 
understand that that's part of life, that uh, we have pains. And like I say, I was 52 when I got here, and I've been here eight years. So on the um, 23rd of this month, I'll be turning 61. And I feel more alive, more alert, and I'm in this. Physical recovery has been great for me. I'm in better physical health, too, because my um, my uh, physical condition when I came in was I was 230 pounds. I was on high blood pressure medication. Of course, I was on lithium, and I was on the uh, medication for the um, um, cholesterol. My cholesterol was 300 and six at one point, and I was already having chest pains. I had been to the hospital and died, uh, what had what they call an out-of-body experience. But I was, if I had died at that time, they would have said I died of a heart attack. But actually, it was this disease that would have killed me. And now as they consider obesity a disease, they may actually put that on some death certificates. But at that time, obesity was not considered a disease that they would write on the death certificate. So it would have been that I died of a heart attack. So I, I just have had, but the thing is, after I had that out-of-body experience in the hospital, the next year I found OA. And I think that, you know, at that point, I was not ready to die, even though I wanted to die, because I feel had I been ready, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been asked, I would not have had to come back. And when I had to come back, I woke up in that hospital room and I was crying, because I did not want to come back to this side. But today, I'm very happy. I want to live, and I have really learned from the physical recovery, the spiritual recovery that I've had. Today I'm closer to God than I've ever been in my life. When I came in, I was very religious, but I wasn't very spiritual. And so I was spiritually dead, as a matter of fact. And so today I've had spiritual recovery. I've had physical recovery. Emotionally, I'm on a very light, um, antidepressant, but I take a very small dosage of it every day just for the maintenance of my mental health, and I see a therapist once a month for the maintenance of my mental health, And but the that's it for my medications. I don't have to take high blood pressure medication today or medicine for my cholesterol because both of those things are normal today. So the physical recovery has been great. And my um, emotional, spiritual recovery is what keeps me able to maintain the physical recovery. So I say that today, abstinence is the most important thing in my life, and God is number one. Because without abstinence, I have no contact with God. And without God, I can't maintain the program. Thank you.
everyone for thank you everyone for your questions. We're now going to have ten uh, minutes of questions from the Ask It Basket, and um, some of them are directed to uh, the individual, and some are not, are not. So I will I'll start off and see what we have. Is there a common experience for those who lose 100 pounds, then panic and gain weight? Where can I find out about this syndrome? I don't have the experience of losing 100 pounds and gaining it back, but I know that there's a pamphlet out there that about uh, what you do now that you've reached your goal weight. And it probably has some good information in there as to how to handle uh, weight loss and uh, the situation surrounding it. That's the best answer I can give you. When I was in Weight Watchers at one point, I lost down to the weight I am now. And when... Um, I got afraid because I used that weight was my protection from from the world and my sexuality and everything else was held down by that weight. So, but when I got down to my weight in program, because of having the support of the fellowship, because of having God in my life, because of having all of all of you to uh, help me. I did not have that same experience. So losing 100 pounds in the program is different than losing 100 pounds on the outside of the program. And that's what I found helped me not want to gain it back. Thank you. Uh, this one's for Carl. Can you share how your self-will affected your sex life and how the program changed it? Okay. Um, I, I guess the, the 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 main thing that I can say about that is that, that using my self will prior to the program, uh, I was a lot more selfish in my uh, sexuality and my sexual needs and my sexual wants. Uh, and the program uh, has taught me that I need to be considerate of other people's wants as well as my own and uh, uh, I think that's made me a uh, more considerate and a better lover than I was before. And this is for Denise. When you were in intensive therapy, was your therapist aware of the 12 steps? Did they really understand or just a general knowledge? When I was in intensive intensive therapy, my therapist told me that it was very important that I stay abstinent because if I didn't stay abstinent, we would be wasting our time. It was so painful. I did not want to waste the time. So what I would do is I would pass an abstinent meal and I would go, there was a park near the, the therapist's office 
and I would go there to eat that absent meal after the session so that I wouldn't use anything else. But she understood in a general way how important it was for me to continue to work the program so that the work that we were doing together would be effective. And this is for both of you. You could each choose your tool. Which of the tools is the hardest for you to use? Writing. <laughs> well, I used all of the tools, and I think that now the one that's hardest for me to use is a telephone because I'm on the telephone all day at work. And when I get home, I don't want to call anybody else. I just, but so it's the telephone. I've heard, this is for both. I've heard mixed opinions about holding on to clothes that are not um, size appropriate, being currently used. What is the panel's take on that? Well, I've now gotten rid of all of my large clothes thanks to the boutique. <laughs> when I gave up the idea that I was ever going to lose weight and, and reached my bottom, I went into my closet and I cleaned out all the clothing that had been hanging there for 20 years that didn't fit. All the clothes that I could have worn today. Uh, and threw them all away because I was never going to lose weight. And uh, when I started losing weight, I started losing the clothes that I was wearing when I was heavy. I did not keep any of them uh, because I had found uh, a solution to my problem, which is the program of Overeaters Anonymous. And uh, one day at a time, if I'm willing to do God's will instead of my own will, I will never need those clothes again. Um, and part of me says, well, you know, I keep them just in case. Just in case is more of a possibility. Because then I'm just like, well, you know, just in case I do gain back 70 or 80 pounds, I might need those, you know, size 50 jeans again. Uh, but no, I, I did not keep any of them. Thank you. This is for both of them again. How do you get out of the rut of being bored, doing the same thing day in and day out? Meetings, work, meetings, work. It's a one-day-at-a-time program. Um, my experience has taught me that what I did today worked. And tomorrow, if I do what I did yesterday that worked, it will continue to work. So... I don't have a problem with it at all. I, I don't get bored with it. I, I like my life. I like my routine. I like getting up in the morning, dropping to my knees, and thanking God for my life. I like ending my day by getting into bed and thanking God for my day. It worked yesterday. I'm sure it will work today. Well... Sometimes I consider myself to be like a rut eater because I eat the same thing every day, every day. And there's too much, um, uh, you know, that saying that variety is the spice of life. I think that's for normal people. 
<laughs> I don't think that's for us. I think we're, as far as myself personally, I'm much better off if I have a set schedule and I follow that schedule day in and day out. And actually it makes for serenity in my life. And what most people consider boredom, when I told somebody that, she said, oh, you've just found serenity. <laughs> okay, what step do you feel is the most important step for your recovery today? One through twelve. Uh, they all have their place in my life today. Uh, every day I have to surrender and I'm powerless over food. Every day I have to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understand Him. Every day I have to do a tenth step. Every day I have to uh, meditate and pray. Every day I have to try to carry the message to compulsive overeaters who still suffer. All twelve steps are important to me. Uh, I can't live this program doing a, a three-step or a four-step program. It doesn't work. I have to do all of them. Well, I think for me, the, the last three steps, the maintenance steps are what keeps me going now because I have to admit when I've done something right away that's wrong and prayer and meditation, the 11th step is very important to me. I do that on a daily basis and a David uh, and the 12 steps, I started 12 stepping when I was very new in the program. So I think the, the maintenance steps are very important for me now. But like Carl said, you have to work all of them on a daily basis. And um, so I do. I get up in the morning and I go through the first three steps. And then, you know, as I need to, I do 10th step and um, on a daily basis. And if necessary, if I had to write another fourth step, I would be willing to do that. Because today I'm willing to go to any length to keep what I have. And so that's it. So for both of you, what's your food plan? The how food plan. Oh, okay. For those who don't know, it's a very structured approach to eating, and it's um, basically in the morning I have a protein, a fruit, and a grain, and then at lunch I have a, a salad, and uh, which is my uh, vegetable, and then I have um, a protein. And I could have another grain, but I'm just on one grain, so it's sort of a mortified um, um, because I'm uh, uh, still on the losing abstinence. So, um, and then for dinner, I have another salad, protein, and a vegetable. Uh, 
my food plan is basically three meals a day and a snack every day. Um, I eat pretty much anything I want to eat today. There are some things I've chosen not to eat in 15 some odd years. I don't order fried foods typically. I don't eat donuts. Um, uh, you know, as Cheryl said last night, the idea of uh, a glob of flour and sugar and fat just doesn't appeal to me anymore. Um, and what I've learned through working in the program and talking to my sponsors that when I eat out, a lot of the times uh, my food that they serve me in a restaurant is more than I would normally eat. And I shared that with my sponsor one day. He said, well, you know, when you go to the restaurant, you can always ask for it to go box with food and put half of it in the box when you get the food. And I find that works pretty well when I do that. Um, I see the time, up, time is up for questions. If anyone wants to talk to me afterwards, I'll be happy to talk to you. Okay, now we have some time for open sharing. We'll have time for three shares. Uh, if you've already shared at another workshop, please give others a chance to share. Well, obviously, we haven't done that. This is our first workshop. Yippee. Uh, limit your shares to three minutes, and we do have a timer, so please keep your eye on the woman here in the front row and stay on the topic and sign the tape release form after you share. Um, the, the topic, again, is if you're a 100-pounder, reflections in the water, body image, and sexuality. And we will sign the release. After, we'll sign the release after you've shared. So, can we have some people over here to the side? They don't want to share. Please step right up. Hi, my name is Kevin, compulsive eater. Hi, Kevin. And um, I'm a hundred pounder. I've lost um, over a hundred pounds in um, this last time. I am also um, a relapse-prone compulsive eater. I, uh, you know, I've been coming around the rooms for about 18 years, and I had lost 70 pounds in Weight Watchers and gained back 130 pounds. And um, this last time, it was very difficult to be staring down at 130 pounds and knowing what I know and having come to the rooms to muster up the courage to try and do it once again. So um, this is a very important meeting for me. I just There's um, a special place in my heart in terms of compassion for anyone who has over 100 pounds to lose. Um, that there is hope, that it is possible to lose that much weight. Um, I am now, in terms of body image and sexuality, um, I think it's, I have my picture as an, I'll show people if they want to see them afterwards, but I also had a size 50 waist. I was really soft and round and very hanging full of the skin. I mean, I was full on every bit of a triple X, 4X shirt. And today I have changed my body. And I re didn't think that my body could respond to exercise like other people. I just thought I was exempt from that. And today, um, the only scale in my house is, is in my kitchen. Um, and if you were to tell a, you know, a compulsive eater that to get rid of the scale in their bathroom and to put one in their kitchen, they're like, shocked. You know, what do you mean? But um, I weigh some of my foods. Um, I exercise, and now I, I take weight gainer products, um, which is odd because I go to the gym and uh, I no longer get on the scale because I want to um, be strong and fit. And dense, strong bodies, all no Schwarzenegger, weighs, weighs 250 pounds at its, at its all-time peak. So what does that number really mean? You know, it, um, I want to look lean and fit 
and not have um, adipose tissue in my body. Um, in terms of sexuality, I am. Um, there are a lot of issues there. I am a two-hatter, many-hatter, and I've, I've noticed that uh, sexuality and compulsive eating go hand in hand. When I put down the fork, I want to pick up other body parts. So <laughs> I, I went, like Bill W. and Dr. Bob, I went to another 12-step program and looked at many, there's many, programs around sexuality, and one of them is Sexaholics Anonymous, and I don't agree with their doctrine entirely, but what I garnered from them recently was uh, about lust, and they have a different definition of lust that I've ever seen in my life, and that is the lust for something, and all of my life, the reason why um, I ate compulsively and there was never enough, because I lusted for food, um, and I can lust for um, something on my plate, and there will never be enough. And so if I lust for the perfect body, no amount of exercise or plastic surgery would ever be enough. And if I lust for another person's soul, it would never be enough. So today I'm learning to apply that to food, to people, to relationships, and it's healthy. So um, best of luck. Once again, please come up and stand in the line up here. Please step right up. We uh, have the tape is going. My name is Sue, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I want to, more than anything, address the question that was asked about um, the fear that comes after losing 100 pounds. I have lost between 50 and 100 pounds five different times, and in 2002 I lost 133 pounds. And um, the difference um, – now, I used to leave OA every time – I would relapse because I just, it seems so silly to be sitting in the rooms and gaining weight. And of course that never worked because then I always gained more weight. Um, and what's happened this time, I've been so proud of myself. Um, I don't binge anymore, which for someone who used to weigh 345 pounds is huge. I've been off sugar since uh, January of 2003, which for me is huge. And uh, I eat very, very limited grains, hardly any at all. Um, and I still, over the past three years, have found my weight creeping up, creeping, just very gradually creeping. And it, you talk about scared. It's like, damn, <laughs> I'm doing everything right, and I exercise too, and I'm gaining anyway. And so the difference this time is that I'm not leaving away. I'm hanging out. I'm not in denial about this. I'm not denying that I'm gaining, I'm looking at it, I'm very, um, I'm working on it, and I'm not going to give up. And as far as the sexuality part, I wanted to add, I, <laughs> I went to one sex and love addicts meeting, and one was all I needed to realize that when I eat, I'm trying to fill that emptiness inside. And at the sex and love meeting, I got really clearly that that was just trying to fill the same hole, but from the other end. So, <laughs> so oh, OA will do it for me. It's the same hole. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Randy. I'm a compulsive overeater. I'm nervous as hell. Um, just to qualify, I have a little over 
two years and almost five months of abstinence and a 215-pound weight loss. And um, I'm actually right in the middle of what my goal weight is. And, you know, these two issues are two of the hardest issues for me right now in my recovery. My head is so screwed up with, with my body image today. Um, I, I can't explain it. You know, I'll see pictures of myself, and it's like, I swear to God, I'm not looking at me, you know. Uh, it, it, it just bothers me. Um, you know, just the other day I went to Magic Mountain with a friend of mine, which I was glad to be able to go to Magic Mountain because for years I couldn't go to places like that. And I was just thrilled to death to be able to go and to go on rides because I missed out on so much in my life because of this disease. Now I question whether I really wanted to go on some of them rides <laughs> after I got off of them and I was busy, you know. But... Um, yeah, my head my head is really screwed up with this. You know, just the friend that I went with, you know, she was talking about her fiance and and, you know, I look at that guy and he's he's normal size and looks fine to me and you know, my head's telling me, God, I wish I were to get to that, you know, be like that and the funny thing is I weigh less than what he does. And and I do not see myself the way other people see me and, and it 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 bothers me. And um Lately, one thing that I have been doing, and a friend did it last night, you know, to me, is, is start taking pictures of myself and start to see pictures of myself. Um, because, and, and like I said, I even see pictures of myself now, and it's like, I swear to God, it's, it's, uh, I look at it, I'm like, that's not me, because my head is so messed up. And, um, you know, when, when, when you shared about the, you know, praying in front of the mirror thing with your claws off, I mean, just the thought of that just horrifies me. <laughs> You know, but it does sound like something that I should do to work on, you know. You know, as far as the sexuality part, I have no idea. You know, I've never been involved in a relationship my whole life. My only relationship was with my pepperoni pizza every night. Um, I hate to say it, but I've never asked a woman out of my life on a date because of the way I live my life. So um, I guess as far as the sex part, I would like to try it someday, and that's all I can say. <laughs> We've been very prudent with our time, so we're going to have time for at least two more shares. So please come on up and uh, let's fill up this tape. Hi, Marilyn. Attempting to recover. Compulsive overeater. Um, I have no, I have no intention of climbing up here. I really appreciate what the speakers had to say. As I've been sitting back there, I, you know, I've been around this joint for uh, almost 30 years. And um, I don't get the body image shit either. God, my hands are just shaking. Um, you know, I don't ever, 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 ever want to go back to 350 pounds. I wasn't even sure I was going to come to this convention because I, um, you know, I gained some of my weight back. I was at 152-pound weight loss, and I'm not at 152-pound weight loss. I probably gained 25 pounds, something like that. Uh, and um, my heart is, I'm going to have a heart attack right now. Um, you know, I'm used to talk, I'm a big mouth. And those of you that have known me 
for many years know that, but this is a really humbling place to be up here. The thing that, I'll, that, that I can say, what brought me to my worst point, to my, to my absolute beyond, lower than my knees, on my belly like a snake, I'll, I'll just say this, you know, if you're struggling with this shit, with my, my last plane ride, big plane ride on a big convention, I, I'm coming up on six years of current um, recovery from compulsive overeating. But when I got on that airplane and I knew that I was going to have to ask the flight attendant for a fuck, excuse me, I'm just, ooh, for a seatbelt extender, and I wanted to die, I was so mortified because I had work people with me and I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want to say it. And I went to the flight attendant as I went in the door and asked her to please put it in my hand and not stand up in front of the damn plane and go, who needs a seatbelt extender? You know, I, I mean, it was pretty obvious as I was hanging over the damn seat in the plane and I couldn't breathe and I had metal gouging in my ass. Um, and I had, and you, wouldn't you know, it was one of those flights where you have to land and then get off the plane and take off again. So it, uh, it wasn't even a, a straight through flight. When I got back to LAX after that trip, I remember sitting on the plane and as they were, as we landed on that tarmac, I asked God, I asked God, when I get off this plane, if you can't help me, if you can't give me the willingness to seek help from this god-awful disease, then kill me on my way home. Let me just get in a car wreck and die. Please do one of those two things, either end it now or allow me to seek help from those people that can help me medically and the people that I've known in this program. Help me, God, please, because I never, ever want to get on a plane again and ask for a seatbelt. Again, a seatbelt extender. Again, I want to sit in the seat. And, you know, God had mercy on my soul, and I was able, able to get back home and to seek the help that I needed. You know, I'm headed off again on the 31st, headed to a convention in New Orleans. And although it's bigger than it should be, than I want it to be, it's going to go in the seat, and I don't have to have a seatbelt extender. And that's what I'm so thankful for. I'm so thankful for this program and God that loves me. Well, I'm Nancy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, thanks. And I didn't know if I could come to this meeting or not because I, I was like, well, I've lost 90 pounds. I don't know if I qualify. And, and you know, it's like, well, I might need to lose another 10 pounds, but I don't know if that's my higher power's plan. I mean, Weight Watchers says I need to lose another 10 pounds, but my higher power kind of is in charge of my weight. So I'm just so grateful to be here because I can so identify with the speakers and what everybody said. And one of the things that I... I uh, was amazed at when I've been working the program is that when I got to my uh, step work, and that's what I, I have to qualify to say, I went to OA, I went to in, inpatient for eating disorder uh, back in the late 80s. Uh, they agreed that I uh, had an eating disorder. Oh, surprise. Um, <laughs> and so, 
So I uh, was there 30 days and, uh, and then came out and went into um, OA, worked the program for a year, and then decided, oh, I didn't like identifying myself as sick. I didn't like to have to say I'm a compulsive overeater. So I think I've, I'm, I'm cured now. And um, I'll just go about my merry way. Um, and which I did. I went out by my merry way and, and gained weight and gained weight. And then I'd lose it, you know, and do the whole thing that people do. Um, I'd gain 50 pounds and I'd lose 40 and I'd gain 60 pounds. And then I'd go on the next diet or a fast or Weight Watchers or whatever it happened to be. And, and I have to say that my whole life I was this really cheerful, bubbly, kind. Everybody said, oh, Nancy, she's so wonderful. And... Um, and inside I was seething, and I didn't even realize that because I would anesthetize myself with food so much. In the last two years, I've seriously worked my program. I've been around OA about four years. I seriously worked it about two. Um, and so when I got to my – and that's the thing I didn't do in the past was I didn't have a sponsor, and I didn't do the step work. I would just come to meetings, and I'd see some hope and strength, and I'd have a little bit of recovery. But it wasn't until I started really seriously working the steps and had a sponsor that I really started feeling – recovered. And that's what I'm so grateful for because the weight loss is wonderful, but the recovery, the serenity is what it's all about for me. I'm just so grateful to not live with that shame and guilt and all that anger inside of me. And so when I was working on my fourth and fifth step, you know, I, I knew there were some people I had resentments about, and especially my mom. That was a long page. Um, uh, sorry, mom. And, um, and so, I, uh, and so I, was, I was writing all my uh, resentments, and, you know, I thought there might be 20 people or so that I had resentments about, and then it was 40, and then it was 60, and, and then I was like, I can't believe, it. am I resentful of every single person I've ever met? And, and so I keep writing, keep writing, and that turns my address book, because I think I'm done about 75, and, and oh, no, I'm resentful of her, because she never sent me a thank you note for the wedding present I gave her, or, and, and there's a... And I was just so amazed at how I could even remember all these things. I can't even remember how our car keys are, but I can remember something that somebody did to me 25 years ago. Um, and so I ended up with uh, 90 people on my resentment list. And a lot of us had more than one resentment. Um, and I had no idea that here this bubbly exterior was holding all this resentment and, and pain and, and another long list of resentments toward myself. Um, and then it wasn't until I'd, I'd done my fourth step, I'd done my fifth step, I'd been working on my sixth and seventh step, and I was sharing with my sister, who's not in the program, um, about having these 90 people on my list. And all of a sudden it hit me, it was like, oh, I've lost 90 pounds. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I really have now come to see how he's carrying all those resentments around with me every freaking day. And I would just add more and more, and then I'd need more and more food to hold all those resentments. And so that's, I'm so grateful for the steps. In working the steps, I can let go of those resentments. I can let go of my fears. And I can ask God for recovery. And, and thank God for today. It's a one-day-at-a-time program. For today, I'm in recovery. And I'm so grateful for the, for the, the gift of this program and the gift of your presence. Because I wouldn't have this meeting if you weren't here. And so I'm always grateful for the service of just coming to a meeting. Thanks. Thank you, everybody, for uh, being at this workshop. It's now time to close. Please join in, let's join in the circle as best we can for a moment of silence, followed by the serenity prayer.